Definitively Speaking is a definitive healthcare podcast series recorded and produced in Framingham, Massachusetts. To learn more about healthcare commercial intelligence, please visit us at definitivehc.com. Hello, and welcome to Definitively Speaking, the podcast where we have data-driven conversations on the current state of healthcare. I'm Justin Steinman, Chief Marketing Officer at Definitive Healthcare, and your host for this podcast. We've been talking for a while now about the staffing shortage in healthcare. Primary care doctors, specialists, nurses, the simple fact is that there's just not enough caregivers out there to meet the growing demand. According to Definitive Healthcare Research, actually, one in five healthcare workers have quit their jobs since 2020. And some reports suggest that up to 47% of healthcare workers plan to leave their position by 2025. That's scary stuff. The problem's particularly acute in the nursing field. Anyone who's been to a hospital knows that nurses are the backbone of the hospital. They're the folks on the front line delivering the compassionate care that everyone needs. And yet nurses are burned out, striking, and quitting in droves. In fact, one McKinsey report projects that by 2025, the United States may have a gap of between 200,000 to 450,000 nurses available for direct patient care. It's clear we need to do something. The question is, what can we do? And then it's quickly followed by, who's going to do it? To try to answer these very difficult questions and to shed some light on the nursing industry more broadly, I'm joined today by Rachel Schiff from IntelliCare, a healthcare workforce management platform. IntelliCare uses AI to match healthcare facilities with nursing professionals in an on-demand environment. Rachel is the chief product officer at IntelliCare, and she spends her days thinking about how to get the right nurses to the right locations where they're needed most, and to do it in a manner where they're compensated fairly for their time. Rachel, welcome to Definitively Speaking. Thanks so much. We're glad to have you here. Before I jump in, I just want to welcome my friend, colleague, and frequent co-host of KaiCast, Todd Bellamere. Todd, thrilled to squeeze us into your very busy schedule today between all your client commitments. I am very excited to be here. Thank you. Awesome. All right, Rachel, let's get you going here. Tough question right off the bat. I rattled off a bunch of scary stats to start off the podcast, but my question to you is why? Why are so many nurses choosing to leave the profession? Yeah, uh, the work itself is is difficult and stressful, and the ratios have been getting worse and worse. So the the workload on nurses is heavier than ever, um, and and so they're choosing to leave. And I think um, I know we we had talked a little bit in advance that uh, that the nurses often don't have the level of agency and autonomy that they would like in doing their job. So put all those things together, and nurses are leaving for other jobs. So when you said about the ratio, what does that mean? Like, what's a typical ratio? Where has it gone to? How bad has it gotten? I mean, it really depends on on the level of care. But I think that what we're seeing is actually legislatures are stepping in to say that the levels that there are today in many places are not safe. So it, it really depends on the specifics of the situation. But um, as you've said, as as salaries have gone up, a lot of healthcare facilities have responded by cutting back on the number of nurses that are available. So it seems like we're in a death spiral. Well, something like that, but I do have some solutions to talk about. <laughs> Excellent. So, you know, when I think about this, it, it seems like such an obvious thing. Like, right, yeah, there has to be a, a, a better ratio of nurses to patients. And when I think about it from a common sense perspective or maybe even an outsider perspective, you would think that the 
proprietors of hospitals and physician groups and, and whoever is employing nurses would say, oh, yeah, obviously we need to figure out better ways to keep our nurses engaged and happy and, and, and going. Do you think – and not to – sort of lead the question, but do you think that there's, it's a component of treating healthcare as a service that is like a a sale, like they're selling healthcare. And so they're looking for better margins and and obviously, you know, everyone's trying to make money, but is is that, it ends up just being a dollar figure that they're like, well, we have to hit a certain number so we can't have as many, uh, as much cost in, in salary. So we'll cut nurses first. Yeah. And I think if you go very deep into the causes here, it is that essentially that the nurse salaries are bundled in that room rate rather than being tied to the actual procedures. So it, it becomes a cost factor rather than something that can be built out, even if there's a known standard for the type of nursing support that should be provided along with a given procedure. Right, but you just said something really interesting, which is you're going to bill out nurses, right? Which I get that. But aren't we at the same point in time where we're trying to control costs in healthcare and wouldn't billing those nurses out potentially even raise the cost of healthcare? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, difficult, it's a difficult choice, but I think that the reason it gets treated so transactionally is because it's it's on the solely on the cost side and not at all on the revenue side. The revenue side. Got it. So you said earlier you got some solutions. Yeah. What do you got? Well, I mean, flexible work is really the one that's that's most central to what I do and we at IntelliCare do, which is saying that you know, we talked about a lot of reasons that that nurses are are leaving the workforce. But also a lot of it comes down to the lack of flexibility in nursing jobs as they're structured today. Um, the fact that people often have to stay over because coverage doesn't arrive, because the the nature of the, the work hours um, aligned with family responsibilities and where we really have been able to expand the workforce pie is by saying, no, some of these jobs can be more flexible. Maybe someone who's caring for children or elderly relatives can pick up some shifts on the weekend, right? Because because the work is divided into shifts, there is the potential to have a larger workforce that works less and those people have more work-life balance and less stress in their lives. So are you talking about like changing? What, what's a typical nursing shift? Like eight hours, 10 hours? Uh, eights and twelves are very common. And, and are you talking about maybe chopping that down to like twos and fours? So there is some of that going on. I, I think that's certainly one approach where that's feasible. But the other thing is to say, sure, it's still a 12, but maybe someone who, who would have otherwise retired is working two twelves a month, right? Two twelves, that's not too much time. It keeps them busy and active, and it might cover weekend shifts that are really hard to cover. And that makes the employees 1099 employees, basically? No. So all IntelliCare employees are W-2 employees. Um, I mean, that I think it's independent from kind of the nature of the employment relationship, but the work schedule itself can be as flexible as the person wants. Okay. So I, I didn't understand your business model. This is actually interesting. Let's dive down for one second here. So IntelliCare actually hires pools of nurses, and then you kind of matchmaking. I thought you were like an eBay where like you were just kind of the middleman. It sounds like you actually have a pool no, of they, resources. No, they're actually, exactly. They are IntelliCare employees um, working gigs through our app. But because of the, the amount of responsibility and liability associated with nurse work and that carefully controlled environment that it occurs in, right, where if you look at the traditional tests around who's a contractor and who's an employee, these are people who show up and all their supplies are provided for them. The hours of the shift are set. That really fits, in our opinion, much better into the model of 
what what an employee is. And so we as IntelliCare are employing them to take on those responsibilities. So it and this will sound odd maybe, but it's almost like a, an Uber for nurses, but you're actually paying them a good wage and you're exactly. doing all the good things exactly. in the back end that maybe, you know, some other types of uh, gig work uh, doesn't always involve. So that that's fascinating. And it it reminds me a little bit of, of even just physicians. You know, there, there's uh, plenty of models we've seen out there where physicians do that same thing, where they're paid by a physician group or a staffing agency and they're, you know, for lack of a better word, rented out to hospitals for different shifts to do different specialties or uh, whatever might be happening at a given time, a service line needs to be offered. And they, they're almost outsourcing that from the hospital to an agency to pull them in. Yeah. So then are you selling to hospitals? Is that, is that your primary client? Uh, our primary client today is post-acute. Okay. Um, but hospitals are absolutely in the mix for us. Because, right, I, I mean, again, I read the papers. And so, you know, what gets covered in the newspapers? Strikes, because strikes are sexy, newsworthy, everything else, right? Uh, and, you know, when I think I saw some researches, you know, according to betternurse.org, there were 14 strikes involving healthcare workers in 2021, and seven of those were strikes by nurses. You know, you go back like 20 years, you never saw a, a strike by nurses. What's Why are they striking? A lot is about the ratios that I mentioned and at the beginning that they're saying their work conditions are unsafe because there aren't enough nurses being hired to care for their patients. That That's the primary, I mean, pay is an issue in every strike, but but really looking at the nurse strikes happening in this country today, they're primarily around the ratios. Got it. And do you need a different set of skills uh, to be a nurse in a hospital than in a post-acute facility? Yeah, definitely. And, and again, even within a hospital, there are different specialties of, of different types. Got it. And so you're really targeting the post-acute, but do you see yourself going to the hospitals eventually? Yeah, that's an area we're expanding into this year. And I think the hospitals are see, starting to see the benefit of the type of flexibility that we provide. In, in terms of that specialization, you know, I think about, you know, physician specialization, obviously, and, and it's not like if a heart surgeon calls out, they're not going to call a podiatrist to come in and, and cover their shift. So is it a similar position you find yourselves in, in terms of, hey, this is the pool of nurses we have, they're in gastro, pediatric, and something else, and it's hard for them to switch over if, if the hospital or post-acute site needs a pediatrician nurse, are they and you maybe don't have one available at the time, are there crossovers that happen when sort of you can use that pool a little more liberally? Yeah. So I think, I mean, coming from the product side, as a product problem, I see it as just being sure that we know all the skills and qualifications that that the nurses working for us have so that we can take that data and match them to the right things. Are there some that are very specialized? There are. Um, the large majority of, of nurses in hospital settings are considered med surge nurses and are, uh, you know, fairly interchangeable. There could be specific, specific skill sets, you know, that you need to make sure that it's a nurse who has, you know, a particular um, skill set within that. And then there are a few specializations, um, but most of it is is more med surge. That's interesting. I, th I think, you know, we've talked to a bunch of staffing agencies about, the process of just finding nurses or finding physicians even to get them into the pool. But it's like you guys have attached the additional, like the software management of the categorization, the pooling and the availability management for the hospitals and post-acute sites to be able to pull that. It's really, it's a cool additional piece that seems like is missing in, in a lot of other agencies. So let's kind of pivot and talk a little bit about the supply here, right? So do we think that 
there are enough nurses out there and we just can't get them to stick around? Are nursing schools producing enough nurses? From the data I've seen, they are. There are enough nurses to fill new classes um, at the rate that you would expect nurses to retire. But you're seeing two trends that that cause the nursing shortage. One is nurses retiring earlier, which I think, again, speaks to the lack of flexibility in the job. Uh, And the second is that young nurses coming out of nursing school, again, given the lack of flexibility, the stressfulness of the job, are leaving for other professions because they're they're well-trained and they can do other things. And given the ratios, the stress, the lack of flexibility, a lot of young nurses who have come out of nursing school are leaving nursing. So aside from the flexibility, what else can we do as a industry, as a patient, as anything to make the, you know, nursing more desirable? I think, right. So flexibility, certainly a big Mm -hmm. piece. Um, I do think agency and autonomy and thinking about how we approach care and care plans and include nurses in that process. Um, uh, Within IntelliCare, Rebecca Love is our chief clinical officer, and she Uh, She has a number of hackathon-type programs going with nurses to get their input on the types of tooling that are available at the bedside, where they have a lot of insight that often hasn't hasn't been tapped. Uh, So that's certainly a piece. But I I love that you mentioned patients, because I think it absolutely is a piece to think about as we participate in the healthcare system. How can we make sure we're showing, you know, the appropriate appreciation and respect to the the people who help us? Yeah, it it does feel that you know, you had mentioned earlier that the nurse's salary or the nursing cost is kind of built into the room mm-hmm. rate as opposed to what is the revenue driver, which is the service that's delivered. I think that, you know, that's similar for almost any industry where you have, you know, people working on a product versus people who are out there selling a consulting service. The consulting service is usually going to get a little more of the credit for things, even though they couldn't really do a lot of what they're doing without some of that backup from the product. And so if you look at changing the billing cycle a little bit and Justin mentioned the rising costs. It's that cost was always there, it just wasn't always visible. And so, if you have that as a, a feature of you know where you know hospital executives are seeing, oh well, you know the more nurses we have, the more things we can do, and therefore the bottom line looks better than it did before. Maybe the the billing cycles will will help align everybody's appreciation for what nurses are actually bringing to the table, and then they'll say, okay, yeah, we need more nurses, and therefore there are better flexibility, better options. But the respect piece, I think, is is always an undertone there because, you know, certainly even just from TV shows and the general zeitgeist of how uh, people look at nurses versus doctors, like there's always that tension there that really needs to be flipped on its head. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but Todd, I'll be controversial for a second because that's what Please I like, do. So I like <laughs> to do, right? So you're talking about adding the cost here, but I'm telling you, it's a, it's a tricky time to be a hospital administrator. I mean, seriously, I would not want to be a hospital executive right now. Talk about pressure job. You know, it's inflationary environment with a workforce shortage. You know, when I did some research preparing for today, I found, you know, Kaufman Hall did a report that showed that labor expenses at U.S. hospitals rose 37% per patient between 2019 and 2022. That's ridiculous, 37% cost increase over three years. I cross-referenced that with our data and found it's particularly acute at hospitals with 250 beds. You know, so I don't know how we pull out those nurses and add that additional cost when we're trying to get that down, unless you can figure out some way to connect that to uh, improvement in the quality of care to suck cost out some other way. 
So I, I think that's kind of what you're saying is that, you know, with better flexibility and, and I'm sure when nurses strike part of their comments or their uh, rationale is that more nurses, better flexibility, safer patients. And so safer patients equates to lower, you know, fall rates, lower, you know, uh, issues that happen, reoccurrences and readmissions, readmissions. Exactly. So if we had more nurses, could we reduce the admission readmission rate by 5% for A, B or C? What does that dollar figure look like? And therefore, boom, there's your extra additional piece at the bottom. Yeah. And I do think when you look at those costs and the fact that they're highest at the bigger hospitals, it does point a certain finger at travel nursing that the hospitals have become very reliant on travel nurses, which obviously has additional costs because you have to pay for the housing of those nurses, the food and housing, as well as uh, as well as the labor. And I think I do think that what we're likely to see this year, this is an actual prediction, is a move uh, on the part of hospitals to look at how to better use their own staff flexibly. And we're working on some software tools so that hospitals can do with their own staff what we do with our staff and to use local contingent labor more to not rely as much on the travel nursing, which is particularly expensive. How much more expensive is a travel nurse versus a regular nurse on a percentage scale, roughly? I don't know that I can answer that. It is it is very dependent on place and time. There were huge spikes during COVID that were like, you know, in the 300% kind of range. I That, that has been coming down. Um, yeah, I don't have a specific answer, but it's certainly an extra layer of cost. And so you always want to make better use of your own staff. But again, you know, as I was reading some stuff in Becker's, just this past April, I guess, you know, uh, 69% of nurses said staffing has gotten worse over the past year. And this stat scared me, which was 26% of nurses said they had been assigned to a clinical area that required skills they didn't have, mm-hmm. which is nothing. You don't want some practicing. Todd made that analogy a couple seconds ago about saying, uh, you know, the nurses who are, you know, the podiatrist trying to fix the heart surgeon, you don't want that. So you got 26% of nurses assigned to clinical areas. How do we attack that problem when you're trying to optimize your staffing? Yeah. Well, one thing we are excited about is the potential for using technology in training as well. Um, We have an IntelliEDU group with some of the best nurse educators in the country. And I think that one way, that's not the whole thing, is to say, well, what are skills that are more in demand and how do we help nurses get those skills and up level and how can we use technology to deliver those courses and then have whatever clinical components are necessary. So so that's one piece is to, instead of sending someone in without the skills, like see what the needs are going to be and and upskill nurses. Um, the second piece would go to, to tech and, and, you know, good matching algorithms, right? So that, so that in any environment, you're optimizing sending the people with the skills to the place where the skills are needed. Got it. Let's transition a bit. There's another shift going on in healthcare. It's all sorts of shifts going on in healthcare <laughs> these days, right? Uh, and so another one is a big movement to home healthcare, right? Uh, driven again by technology, remote patient monitoring, the fact people want to be at home. How is that going to impact nursing? Well, I think more nurses than ever will be needed. And a lot, a lot of the innovation that's happening there is to see where can the kind of hospital level care be almost centralized in some kind of command center. And then you're having nurses typically go out to the home and deliver the care supported by tech to report into the doctors. We are seeing more and more of those models. So 
I think that more nurses, if anything, will likely be needed by this greater distribution of care. But it is kind of a perfect opportunity for the type of flexible work I've been describing because it could be something that's right in your neighborhood for one hour, that type of, of approach. So it's something that we're working with a number of clients to provide nurses to that type of work. It's absolutely a shift that we see. And I think especially um, there's certainly a hospital at home, but there's also a, a big post-acute opportunity to say, where can people who want to stay home do that? Do you see yourselves expanding into like home health aides as well at some point in the future? Uh, I've read over and over about how the explosion in, you know, boomers going into the 65 plus range is going to mean an explosion in home health care. And so the need for those home health aides seems like it's just going to ramp up like crazy. Yeah. So um, we do we do staff CNAs today. It's a big part of our business. And a lot of those, depending on the state, is whether CNA is distinct from home healthy. There's also personal care. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I do think that that is a big opportunity to see, right, what are all the different skill levels that are needed and to have them. Um, I think there've been some interesting, innovative business models with even lower skilled caregivers, giving them the training to check in. Um, at the same time, we are seeing from some of our clients needs for you know, specific skills like phlebotomy, right? And that coming to people's doors. I know we've seen that a little bit with COVID testing and vaccination, like models of particular healthcare procedures and them being done uh, in the home. So from what we're seeing, there's demand for all different kinds of of healthcare professionals coming to the home. And, and certainly I agree that that identifying what those skill sets and certifications are. And and certainly in telecare would be open to whatever's needed in those environments. It is a different environment, though, because, you know, a hospital is purpose built, right? Yeah. It's built for healthcare, and my house is not. And so you need a different set of skills to work through that. And I think that's going to put additional pressure on nurses, you know, even more. I think that is true. Um, I think, again, as the product person, I can say on the tech side, there's all kinds of features that we never thought about in a in a healthcare facility environment that it, we have to ask, you know, do you have pets? Are you allergic to pets? How many flights of stairs do you have to walk up? Like all of this type of question about care that's delivered in the home. Um, but at the same time, I, I mean, home health has been a thing for long enough. We are finding that most of our nurses have some experience of delivering home health. And, and one thing we've actually heard, again, almost to this point of flexibility is that a lot of times nurses like doing different things different times, um, especially in post-acute. We sometimes hear that, right, there are different pros and cons. And so in a way, there is, a, you know, more autonomy when you're going delivering care in the home. And so you might like that for a while, and then you might just be ready for the steady schedule and not the the big dog jumping on you or whatever it is and switch to a facility. Seems like the, that's the flexibility that we're talking about. So that's, exactly. that's good. All right. Last big question before I go. Todd knows I was like, that's the big question at the end of every podcast. But put, our, put our guests on the spot, right? So we've talked about redefinition of healthcare, home healthcare, nursing, all sorts of stuff. Uh, but it seems like right now there's a lot of change going on in the areas of primary care and senior care. Every time I turn around, CVS, Walgreens, Walmart has purchased another care delivery organization. CVS just purchased Oak Street. And, you know, to say nothing of Amazon's ambitions in this space. What's going to be the impact of all these business models on the nursing industry? I'm going to say they all need nurses. Like it doesn't really matter where the care is delivered. Nurses are needed. I think some of what we just talked about, that there could be more gradations of different, the same way, you know, CNAs and nurses are very prevalent today, home health aides. 
uh, to think about different certifications to maybe expand the pool somewhat um, and make sure that people get specific training in those specific things. But I would say that from the nurse perspective, you pretty much need the same number of nurses, if not more nurses, no matter where the care is delivered. You probably are. I think you're an interesting point, though. I think you're going to need a different level of specialization. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk a lot about having people practice at the top of their license. Yeah. And maybe you need a different skill set to practice at a CVS than you do to practice at the home than to practice at a hospital. Yeah. And so you could potentially see a more subspecialization in different licenses and even ways to attract people more into the industry. Mm -hmm. uh, I do think I think we're seeing a, a lot of different changes because then even, you know, telenurses, right? Yeah. And, you know, you got all this stuff like the hymns and the Romans and, you know, I feel like you can buy anything these days. You just talk to a nurse practitioner over the Internet. It's kind yeah. of unbelievable. And they all advertise during Sunday football. It's hysterical. <laughs> but I think there's also another place for nurses to get those jobs and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, fascinating, Rachel. You know, definitely an industry in the midst of transition. I can't wait to see where uh, it's going to go. But, you know, let's shout out. We all nurses, we love you. Thank you. Absolutely. Yes. yes. So good. Awesome. Todd, as always, thanks for joining me, my friend. Thank you. Happy to be here. And for all the listeners out there, thank you for listening to Definitively Speaking, a definitive healthcare podcast. Please join me next time for a conversation with Dr. Samir Berry, the chief medical officer at Oshi Health. Oshi Health is a virtual multidisciplinary GI care company. And Dr. Barry is going to share the results of a recent research study that they conducted. Not to spoil the show, but his research shows that the new hybrid and virtual care models dramatically lower healthcare costs, ER visits, and improve the quality of care. That's pretty important considering digestive orders affect 70 million people and cost the US healthcare system more than $135 billion each year. I hope you'll join in to listen to me and Dr. Barry talk a little bit about this. If you like what you've heard today, Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. To learn more about how healthcare commercial intelligence can support your business, please follow us on Twitter at DefinitiveHC or visit us at DefinitiveHC.com. Until next time, take care, please stay healthy, and don't forget to hug your favorite nurse. <laughs>